Hello, I'm back with season two of the Countryside Kitchen Meats, a food and farming podcast. Thanks for all your feedback and support from season one. I'm so pleased to be back and bringing you more great conversations and recipe ideas, talking to grassroots farmers and food producers who make up the lifeblood of rural communities. I've got so many varied and exciting guests lined up for you this season, starting with go-ahead Cumbrian farmer Jim Beery. To finish, I'll chat about my time-saving hack, using up leftover soft fruit. You can find the recipe by using the timestamp within the show notes if you wish to listen back to it again. I'm also looking for a show or episode sponsor, so get in touch to find out more. Anyway, here is my chat with Jim Beery. Enjoy! Okay, so let me introduce you to my guests. Situated in Penrith, Cumbria, is Gaythorn Hall Farm, where Jim and his wife Julia farm beef, suckler cows, sheep, pigs, and some arable crops. A Harper Adams University graduate, I know this as he went to college with my husband, and no, I don't want to know any of the stories that they used to get up to. <laughs> that was a little while ago, I'm telling you now. <laughs> Jim has been a focused farmer, writer for The Farmer's Guardian, a Next Generation member for the National Farmers Union on the Uplands Forum, and his Instagram bio states that he is a northern farmer who likes to ask questions. Well, the tables have turned today and I'm the one asking the questions. Hello, Jim. How are you? Oh, good. Thanks. <laughs> Excellent. Um, did I get your introduction right? Is what I've uh, introduced you as co- true and correct? Um, spot on, yeah. yeah. <laughs> good, good research. Brilliant. Excellent. Now, answer me this. Are you a Yorkshireman or a Cumbrian? Uh, actually, originally a Lancastrian. Oh, heck. Oh, I've got that one completely wrong then. Oh, <laughs> blimey. I know there's some fierce rivalry anyway between the uh, the counties. So, well, uh, I tend to keep that quiet. But, but <laughs> grew, grew up in Lancashire, so we, I've, I've moved around a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell me, how did you get involved in the industry? Well, my dad was a farm manager. And my uncle uh, was a tenant arable farmer. So I grew, I grew up on a farm and kind of got my inspiration from, from both of them, really. Yeah, yeah. And and so what sort of farming were they um, involved with? Uh, dad was intensive pigs and beef. And then my uncle was um, arable crops and, and potatoes. Yeah. Uh, just just near, near Liverpool. So you obviously went to Harper Adams. That's how sort of we've come to connect, really. Um, and also because we follow each other on Instagram and watch what she, each other's doing. But you you were farming over in Yorkshire for a while, weren't you? On a tenant farm, am I correct? Um, yeah. Yeah. Just before yeah. before we came here, which was about twelve months ago, really. Yeah. And what were you doing on on that farm? Beef, sheep, and pigs over in Yorkshire. Yeah. And then similar here, but. On a, on a bigger scale, there's uh, <clears throat> just we're just about to start a little little poultry unit here as well. I've seen that as well. That looks really exciting. So moving from Yorkshire to Cumbria, how did that sort of um, happen? Or did you know? Did you did was that a natural progression, or there was a new opportunity? How did that come about? Um, yeah, I guess it was a new opportunity. I, I had two farms over in in Yorkshire, which were about fifteen miles apart, which was. Um, a bit of a challenge at times 
I saw the opportunity here advertised in the paper and it kind of stuck out at me a bit. So made some inquiries and then, then, you know, it sort of snowballed from there really. And we ended up packing everything up and, and moving over here, which was quite a, quite a big task. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. But uh, uh, an incredible opportunity and one that I think you've taken with both hands and um, really started to get going, haven't you? Because you've established a, a beef suckler herd. Um, how many head of cattle have you got now? We've got about 200 head in total. Um, be about 1,000 ewes. Um, just putting a B&B pig unit in for 1,200 pigs. And then we've got a very small but mobile poultry unit which will have about 600 pens following behind the, the sheep and the cattle hopefully brilliant and is that for eggs or for meat uh, eggs that eggs. they're going to go into a, quite a large farm shop which is about 15 minutes away on the m6 oh wonderful um is that is that the westmoreland yes yeah yeah oh fantastic oh that for anyone listening that if you if you traveling up the m6 it's definitely worth calling into the westmoreland farm shop because if you haven't seen it on the telly uh the program is absolutely fantastic so so will you be appearing on any of the uh, future tv episodes then have they uh, discussed anything with you possibly yeah they're certainly pretty keen on the on coming to see the the hens and, and whatever so, yeah yeah that might may well happen i don't know if i'm a natural tv person or whatever but you know, we'll certainly give it a go and see what happens yeah oh fantastic well that, no that's wonderful and where where does your um beef cattle and your sheep go to do you uh do you have a main supplier or um tell me a bit about that um traditionally we've sold both to tesco yep. so there'd be a, a lamb contract and a angus beef contract with them but we've we've got quite a low carbon footprint here so we've just started in the last few months, um, selling through a company called Lake District Farmers, and they're, they're, well, most of their stuff's going down to London. So we've, we've been doing zero carbon beef for the likes of Google head offices and HSBC and places like that. So that's quite exciting, really. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that you are trying to farm in a regenerative type system? Is that sort of the end of the, the, the sort of mindset that you're in or the system that you're sort of aiming towards? Um, yeah, I think when I started farming on my own, I, I was I didn't have a huge amount of of working capital or, or capital full stop. So I did did kind of learn to farm, um, make the most of what what was already there, if you like, mm. and slowly sort of found out that that worked. And then as I've gone on, got more more of an interest in the environmental side of it and the the, the wildlife and ecology. So trying to balance it all together really i don't know if i necessarily need to um label myself as a regenerative farmer but there's certainly elements of that that we do and that i like and it's just about getting the right balance really yeah definitely definitely i couldn't agree more um yeah basically trying to farm in conjunction with nature and managing the the landscape around you it's it yeah in in a way it's kind of what we've always done but I think there's a lot more of a, a kind of focus on that side of things um in this day and age whereas I think sort of five ten years ago it was about you know always always about profitability and about um economies of scale and things like that and whilst whilst that is important because at the end of the day it is a business I think it's you know obviously just uh, being more mindful of the impact that you are having on on the world around us isn't it as well as being able to produce food which is 
what we were trying to achieve. So, uh, yeah. No, yeah, I completely agree. And I'm finding, you know, the further further into it we get, that actually the better, better the quality of the food that we're producing is. And, yeah. And, and I sort of take a lot of satisfaction in, in seeing the, the environmental gains that we've made as well. So, you know, whereas years ago, my sort of post-college years, there was very much a focus on on yield and profitability, which is still important. But now, now I'm sort of find myself driven by actually the quality of the food that we're producing, and also looking at you know how how many more species we can introduce into grass lays in the farm and different sort of wildlife that we can encourage and and bring back. Mm. And um, so it's a different set of targets that perhaps we're working towards now, but it's very satisfying as well. Yeah, I can imagine. And what what sort of species have you uh, have you seen or welcomed under the farm that you perhaps hadn't seen before, or perhaps not not appreciated? The previous farm was very much focused on on farmland birds. Um, we, we managed to count 140 curlews in a five acre field for over the last couple of years at, at that place. So we made a big difference there. This this farm is different. There's still quite a big focus on farmland birds. We've we've managed to get some black grouse back. Curlews and lapwings are here, but probably not quite as in the numbers that they were in the Peak District. But by sort of changing the way that we're grazing the farm, we're, we're having seen a huge difference in flora and fauna. So we we just did a count on a block where we went into the cattle, and we found 185 different species in the in the um, flora and fauna in that block. So. That's that's pretty spectacular. Really. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's things like that that makes you sort of help benchmark and kind of really understand that by doing these things, pro- uh, producing quality food and introducing new species or helping to increase the fauna and fauna flora around you, um, you know, it, it benefits the wider community as well, doesn't it? Because there's a lot of people that go out into the countryside and enjoy it and in and, and exercise and, you know, whatever they, they, they feel they want to do. And I think that it is, you know, the na- managing that natural landscape is is a role that we all play and, and value. So it's good that you are playing that part too. Well, I like to think so, yeah. I mean, the sort of end price of our products is probably becoming greater. Um, but it does play on my mind a little bit the affordability of what we're producing because it really is a premium product. But having said that, it is better quality. But in in terms of what we're doing for everyday people, it's just like what you said. You know, we we are enhancing the environment. We're improving the the water, which ultimately ends up in Carlisle. Um, we're improving the biodiversity in, in the local area. So we we are. By, by what we're doing and the, and the food we're producing, okay, your average customer might not have one of my expensive steaks that so often, but but everything else that's been involved in the, the production of that is, is is benefiting everyone really. So mm. that makes me feel a bit a bit better about it all. Yeah, definitely. And also it's time as well. It's not something that, you know, we we will try and strike that work-life balance. And I mean, you know, farming is a bit of a, you know, 24-7 kind of uh, uh, world, but sort of trying to uh, to balance it all, it can it can be a juggle. And there are so many um, pressures on everyone's time. Definitely, yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't like to be one of those whinging farmers saying, mm. that we're, you know, we're, we're working all the time because... I'm quite lucky, really, because my biggest interest in life is, is, is my job. So 
Yeah. It doesn't feel like work. Not really. No, I'm not mm. saying I don't get tired sometimes and stressed. You know, everyone does, but mm. I, I wake up in the morning and, and go to work doing doing what is ultimately my, my biggest passion in life. So, mm. but I've got, you've got to be mindful that life's pretty hectic for, for most people. And if we can do a little bit to, to make a difference to everyone, then, then yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And with with the egg side of the business, is that sort of a bit of a diversification that you've kind of sort of gone into or just another element of using what you've got on the farm? Or do you have any other diversification projects? We'll, we'll be putting a campsite in next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, I have diversified on previous farms, but that, that would be, you know, non-farming enterprises that sort of bolted onto the farm. Whereas here, the opportunity was there to a, a very large um, farm shop. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like it was the right fit. It fits the farming system. And, you know, it's adding to our output, probably some associated benefits in terms of um, fertility and you know, potentially biodiversity and stuff like that. So, mm. yeah, it's kind of, I don't, I don't know whether it, it's, it's I don't know how to describe it, whether it's a diversification or whether it's just a something that's just the right fit. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's one it could be one or the other, couldn't it? Um, it does sound like a really good fit because it's sort of all part of the of your system. And if you've got an M buyer um it's just down the road, again, it's low food miles and uh, making use of the resources that you've got. Sounds fantastic. Um, so what is the best part about working in agriculture to you? Big big question. Um for me, it's probably the job satisfaction, I think, because you don't get many jobs where, okay, there's a lot of challenges, but when things go right, there's so many sort of add-ons, if you like. You know, it, one thing can go right. You can make a lot of other things go right, and mm. and they take huge, huge satisfaction in that. You know, it's like a bit like what we were talking about before. If you get one one species back on your farm, it generally leads to another eight eight mm. species come following on um and you know if you if you can do something like that that's pretty it's a pretty big achievement and it's for me just amazing sort of job satisfaction yeah yeah and that comes across in you know the way that you describe things as well you know it isn't it isn't a job it's a you know it, it's just what you get up and what you love and what you're passionate about which is you know uh i think we're all very very fortunate that you know we share that passion and uh, want to kind of talk about it and uh, uh, what we do do you do you enjoy cooking at home let's talk a bit a bit about food now um do you enjoy cooking at home um i do i i'd say my skill set is is limited um but yeah i do do a bit of cooking i, I do quite a good a good fry up so i'm told and i, I like cooking a nice steak or a bit of lamb or some 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 pork um, yeah. i need to get better Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of, I don't know if it's an excuse for my lack of ability or or whether it's right, but I kind of, I don't like doing too much with something. I just like to have a good, a nice, a nice cut of meat or, or some nice veg to start with. And I kind of find that you don't need to do too much to it. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's quality over quantity. It's letting that, that produce sing for itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No. So, yeah. So what would be your sort of go-to meal um, if you were going to try and put something together quickly? Would it be a steak and chips or, you know, you tell me. 
Um, yeah, I, could, <laughs> I think I could probably eat steak every day and not get fed up with it. <laughs> Can't afford to do that, but in, a, in an ideal world, I would. Um, yeah. So yeah, just some home, homemade chips, really. Some onion and mushroom and a bit of bit of butter fried up. Yeah. So probably a bit, bit of watercress and then nice piece of steak. How do you like your steak cooked? Uh, I like it rare, really. Um, if you cook it too much, you lose a lot of the flavour, I think. But yeah. it's each, each to their own, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what cut, sirloin or ribeye? Or? So I quite like a T-bone. Yeah. Yeah, ribeye, sirloin, all good. I don't, I don't even mind. A nice rump steak, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Is there, Do you get any of your own produce back? Do you, do you get to sample what you produce? Uh, yeah, we do get some back. Yeah, yeah. So it keeps me going quite well. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Dur- during lockdown, we we had some pigs that we did for the freezer. We did three. The plan was to keep one and sell two, but we ended up having two and selling one. So there was a lot of pork consumed in the, in this house um, during lockdown. Did you put any into sausages as well? Yeah, yeah. There was a quite a lot of sausages and we, we, we were basically we described it as a pork-based diet because most days <laughs> most days there's some sort of pork product on the menu <laughs> reminds me of our house because we do exactly the same we have some Gloucester old spot pigs and I, I i used to you know sell, sell quite a bit and now when once the kids have come along i just haven't got the time but i still like having pigs and so we end up trying to ram like two or three pigs into a freezer and we often get a whole pig put into sausage and everyone yeah. raves about how delicious they are. And to me, because that's all we ever eat, it's kind yeah. of like, well, where, where are you buying your sausages from? Because, you know, um, but I mean, yeah, everyone's always a convert. And, and what I would say to anyone listening is go and support your local butchers because that's where the place to be or your local producers, because, it's definitely quality quality ingredients it, it, might, it, it, it might cost a little bit more but it, it's a lot better it's a lot more nutritious definitely definitely um and you sort of know the whole story you know the um uh, provenance and uh, the low food miles as well so that it has some environmental yeah. benefits too um, definitely. so what does the future hold for you we've got quite a big project going on here with the national park so they're helping us sort of develop the farm to be to um, you know, support this kind of more, more regenerative system that we mentioned before. So we've, we're putting a lot of hedgerows in to interlink existing hedgerows and, and woodlands and create a lot of wildlife corridors. Mm. We've put a quite a big water system in so that we can we can paddock graze around around the farm and um, planted trees up and a lot of the lot of the gullies and, and things like that. So uh, that's going to take the next couple of years. Also, off the back of that trying to monitor the sort of flora and fauna at the start um, and a bit further through the project and, and also sending some of the meat away to be tested so to see if the, the improvements on the farm and the, and the change in the system are, are having an impact on the quality of the food that we produce. Oh, that's really interesting. So how are you going to benchmark? So you, are you testing some now and then you're going to test some in a couple of years and, and yeah, look, yeah, yeah. look at the marbling or, you yeah. know, uh, yeah, yeah, the fat content and, yeah, yeah. Oh, how interesting. All of that, yeah. So yeah. so basically a kind of baseline from the start. There's also like a baseline carbon audit that we've done and, mm. and then we're sort of monitoring that every three years as well. So we're trying to track the improvements as we go along so that when 
people come and ask us, well, you claim your food and your your farming system is better for the environment. Well, then we can actually prove it. Yeah. Yeah, and benchmark definitely. Oh, fantastic! I had not heard about um how you can do that. That's fantastic. Oh well, I'll wait. I'll I'll follow that with interest. Absolutely, sounds good, great. Good. It's, great. Quite, it's quite it's quite exciting because you know the decisions that we're making on the farm. We're not we're not just looking at what's going to be the most profitable in the short term. We're looking at what's going to be the most sustainable. Um, yeah. and you know what's what's the impact going to be on water quality, carbon, um meat quality etc etc so it just brings a whole different dynamic to it all and Mm. and makes it makes it in a lot more interesting for me and also kind of engages the the consumer as well so Mm. um yeah so it's really exciting you'd have to do some blind taste testing then and see if you can taste the difference so i mean (laughs) really yeah definitely oh you have to get on the telly doing that as well that'd be fantastic Oh, it'd be really Maybe. good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Jim, how can people follow you? You're on social media. Can you tell me your handles and where people can find you? Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram. So it'd be at farmer underscore beery, B-E-A-R-Y. Um, I'm not actually on anything else. I used to be, but I kind of narrowed it, narrowed it down a little bit more to save a bit of time. And I kind of like the more positive and kind of photographic element of Instagram because you, you don't get engaged in arguments or, or whatever else. And you can just sort of look at, look at what people are doing and ask, ask a simple question. I quite like it. It's straightforward. And, and so that's it. That's all I'm on really. Yeah. And you've got a website as well. You've got a little website. I mean, you just to sort of showcase what you're up to. Yeah. I need to do a bit of work on that. And then we're sort of farming partnership with an estate as well. So we're going to, um, advertise what we're doing through through their website as well. So that that would be levenshall.com, I think. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, well, we'll definitely I'll put the um the links in the show notes to this episode anyway, so people can find you. Um and yeah. um now it's time for some time saving hacks for you to try at home. <laughs> Leftover fruit. Luckily, my boys seem to gobble up fruit pretty quickly. However, on the occasions that I have some fruit starting to go past its best, here's what I do. Follow my recipe for fruit, yogurt, ice lollies. Whiz up some fruit, say raspberries, blackberries or blueberries. Add a small amount of sugar to take away the tart taste from the berries and then mix with some natural yogurt and place in an ice lolly stick mold. Freeze for about eight hours and it makes the perfect refreshing fruit lolly for your brood. The other option is to take individual berries and freeze in ice cube blocks so that you can have a nice chilled drink once the kids are in bed. You can drop in a fruity ice block into your G&T. Yum. (laughs) How does that sound? (laughs) I like the sound of that. I might do that later. Yeah, yeah, do, do. Um, And in season right now, so many things are in season right now. It is harvest time at home in the garden and I've got an abundance of produce to enjoy. Tomatoes, sweet corn, chilies, blackberries, runner beans, butternut squash. And what is really satisfying is knowing that I can make a meal using everything grown on the farm. So Sunday roasts are a big hit using a pork or lamb joint from our farm, teams of roast potatoes and seasonal veggies. But if you've not got the space or the time to grow your own, make sure you support your local butchers, your small independent producers, 
and farmers markets and shops, you will really notice a difference in terms of quality and freshness, similar to what we've just been chatting about. Now, some people do say to me, well, isn't it more expensive to shop at these places? Well, I don't do a full shop in a farm shop or, or, you know, I will just get a few key ingredients that are things that really sing um, a decent joint of meat, a decent few veggies. But it's actually about buying quality over quantity and being savvy with the meat cuts. So using some of the cheap cuts and cooking them low and slow. And one thing I've got into a habit of cooking is chicken drumsticks. And eating them hot and cold, hot or cold with a salad, I often put the drumsticks into the slow oven at lunchtime and eat them at tea time. It makes the meat ever so tender and means they're ready just when I want them. Um, and then I don't have to think about cooking a meal. The kids love them too, which is always a bonus. How does that sound, Jim? Sounds spot on to me. I think I'd, <laughs> I'd be eating with the kids as well. <laughs> Andrew definitely does, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> We were always in the clean plate club here. I can tell you that. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> okay, that's all we've got time for today. Don't forget to tune into the next episode of the Countryside Kitchen Meet on the first of each month. You can subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Deezer, you name it, you can find it on there. And get in touch. Would you like to be on a future episode? Want to chat to me about what you do or share some recipes? Drop me a line at hello at millie5.com. You can also follow my feed blog, No Fuss Meals for Busy Parents, on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.nofussmealsforbusyparents.com for top tips, time-saving hacks, and recipe ideas. Thank you so much for joining me, Jim. It's been incredible chatting to you, and keep up the amazing work you're doing. It's a pleasure. Enjoyed it. Brilliant. Excellent. Right. We'll see you next time on the Coachside Kitchen Meets. Bye.